Justine, how are you feeling? Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> so, Justine, tell the listeners what, what you've been through. Yeah, yesterday <laughs> I had my second COVID vaccine, so today I've got um, fever, headache, nausea, all that fun stuff. Would you describe the vaccine as more of a indica or sativa? <laughs> more of a uh, misery, if that's a... <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. So we have got a really exciting guest today, um, though we're going to be joined by Travis Steffen. He is the CEO of Growflow, which I consider to be the greatest company in the world, but I'm a little bit biased. So um, without further ado, welcome, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, just yeah, we, should, we should put you on the PR team instead. Right? <laughs> Um, just to start out, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and some of your background? Oh, sure. Okay. Um, let's see. Born and raised in Iowa, super wholesome Midwestern upbringing. Um, moved out to California in 2010. And um, ever since then, and actually a little bit before then, when I was in grad school uh, back in Iowa, I had been um, starting companies. And then since then, I've just been starting and scaling and selling tech companies and in Silicon Valley and Los Angeles for the past, I want to say 12 years now or so. Um, and, you know, in that time, I've been pretty fortunate to have some good experiences and meet a lot of amazing people. Uh, many of them actually came with me uh, when I started my my tenure at Growflow uh, back in February of 2019. And, um, you know, since then, we've just been growing, raising money, helping customers, and uh, trying to trying to be the most helpful company in cannabis. How old are you, Travis? I'm 33. Oh, okay, cool, nice, nice. You don't look a day over 25. Oh, what, um, a, guy. what a guy! <laughs> You're also hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and for our listeners who don't know, Growflow is a seed to sale tracking. Um, application or software, if you want to call it that. It's not really software because there's no installation that you have to do with a disc or anything like that. But, um, and we are in multiple states. I say we because I work for the company. I love it. Um, and Travis, where else? I know that I've seen some articles posted about you. Where else have you been featured in the media? Um, a good question um let's see in the media forbes inc uh business insider fast company fortune um money uh oh gosh um i don't know a bunch a bunch of them um <laughs> i've been pretty fortunate to work with some really great people that are really good at getting me in the press but uh um <laughs> You know, that's, I guess, what you get sometimes when you, I mean, and a lot of them I've, I've written for too. Um, mm. You know, they, they take contributions from entrepreneurs about certain topics. So I uh, really, thankfully, just been able to build some good relationships in that way. And, and some folks with good media relationships have, have been in my corner, which has been nice. Yeah. And speaking of media relationships, you have a podcast as well, don't you? Well, Growflow has a podcast and I'm definitely a, uh, I'd call it more of a passenger than a, than a host <laughs> there. Um, Joe, our, our chief revenue officer, really runs the show on that show. So, um, but yeah, just called the Growflow Podcast. I think we're yeah. like seven or eight episodes in or something like that. Yeah, and you're on YouTube and pretty much every streaming service, right? I believe so. Yeah, that's that is true. Sweet. Before we get any further, Justine, into your questions, Travis, uh, where can we like find you online? Do you got an Instagram or anything for our listeners to follow? You know what I do, but um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big social media guy. I'm I'm kind of a um, I'm I'm pretty hyper conscious of the fact that um, you know to me I've found that that um, at least in in my own kind of locus of control, my, my success has been directly proportionate to my ability to manage my own psychology. And, and I think yeah. that that should probably be the case with, with almost anybody. And I have found that uh, social media is one of the bigger hindrances of that yeah. effort. Uh, it's a, a huge time suck. I mean, it can be a profound promotional engine if used correctly and responsibly, but um, I, I prefer because they've, you know, in, a, a, in previous companies, I've kind of been uh, much more involved in the you know retention loops, which they often call the addiction loops. 
-hmm. and those are very very hyper present on those platforms so i've just made it a point to to not really be very engaged um, sure. so i mean you can find me just with my first and last name on most of those platforms travis stefan like at travis stefan on instagram or twitter or something like that but you're not going to see a whole heck of a lot of me posting things sometimes i'll yeah. you know repost some some like a show that i was on if somebody puts it in a story or if a friend of mine has dinner and takes a picture i'll, huh. I'll reshare it but that's about as far as that goes for me that's some profound life advice i just have to say if you can yeah. if folks can if we i feel like if we could all take social media just a little bit less serious we might be somewhere i'm just, <laughs> no, just i mean honestly the uh, it's it's very funny because i think these days especially the younger generation will associate success with the number of followers on social media and i think that mm -hmm. that's a, an incorrect assumption i think that the the optics there can be manufactured very easily uh, regardless of the value that that person's creating for whomever they're they're trying to create value for um, so it can it can provide almost this like false uh, representation of of earned fame mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's a very dangerous game to play because then you find that the vast majority of people measure themselves and their self-worth and um, you know their their sense of significance in the world and their self-esteem by and large by their comparisons to what they see these other kind of quote-unquote influencers have through a, a filter and in reality these people are just normal people that are doing the best they can as well and they're kind of stuck in that same uh that same rat race so mm -hmm. um, and what we i can do i always say it. it's you're seeing people's highlight reel you know yeah yeah, and you're comparing your own day-to-day, -day, your monotonous day-to-day -to, -day to other people's highlight reel. And a lot of times that highlight reel is, is also fake. It's yeah. through a filter. It's manufactured. It's very, very specifically put out there to create the perception of the brand of that person. And mm -hmm. uh, we just get a little too wrapped up in that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so along with that, I mean, obviously with running a business you don't want to completely ignore social media as the elephant in the room. So um, when it comes to like the promotion of GrowFlow and trying to get more listeners to the podcast, more views on YouTube, more on Instagram, you know, that kind of thing. Um, do you have kind of a more relaxed approach about it? Or do you feel like, no, we, even though I don't hold myself to that standard, we got to hit these numbers. Yeah, our marketing team does utilize uh, social channels for like things like podcast promotion or content creation as a way of you know, disseminating value to uh, customers or potential customers and you know, the industry at large. Um, so like it's it is by no means ignored because it is the congregation of many people, and I think we can you know help people through that. Um, I think it's the, the the place where it becomes dangerous is if we start to play the the personal comparison game. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I, where I try to shy away from. So, you know, anytime I'm on, I'm on shows or anything like that, or uh, in the media, they ask like, hey, what's your, where can people find more from you? I'm like, ah, you're going to have to give me a call. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to gather your resources. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have me over for dinner or something like that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, on social media, it's, I, I just, for my, for the sake of my own focus, I kind of try to, Stay off of it. Wait, so you tell people they have to speak to you if they want to engage with you? We're weird, right? Weird <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah, especially coming from a CEO, most people are pretty intimidated. And I'll admit, I still get a little bit intimidated when I see that you've tagged me on something at work, Travis, because I'm like, oh, no, I have to do it right away because Travis wants it done. He means business. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I know, I know from personal experience that is not how you are at all. Yeah, uh, and honestly, it's a. I know it's a perception that kind of oftentimes um, happens with almost everybody in the workplace because they have past experiences with other people who manage differently, or or even just perceptions of of their own job security and and so forth. And um, you know, I've I've also been in the employee seat in the past and kind of know that from personal experience, like where how that feels and. So it was very intentional early on to try to 
play that game to battle against that perception, but I think it's gonna, it, it'll never be finished. It still has to continue to, it's more of a practice than anything. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so getting into kind of how, how you got involved in Growflow, how you've chosen to kind of steer the company in a, a really great direction that personally I feel that way. Um, where did you get, cause I know Growflow is very like company culture centric. And that's something that I've heard you talk about a lot on the Growflow podcast. So I'm interested to know where did you get kind of that culture centric attitude? Um, was this something that you had brought into businesses prior to Growflow or was it something that you were kind of like, you know what, I'm going to try something completely different here? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, in brief, like my, like to answer your first question, the, uh, my entry into the company was, I, I had been, um, you know, fortunate enough to work with a number of accelerator programs over my career to, you know, kind of give uh, wisdom and value to some of their younger founders and, and folks who were going through a process for the first time. And those programs just kind of provide tools to, to young entrepreneurs or, or first timers or, you know, even just folks that might need assistance or something like that. And, um, you know, I was I was friends with a, a guy named Dane Maxwell, He's, who started one called The Foundation uh, at one point. And actually, the two founders of Growflow, Rufus and Tom, uh, went through that program and um, you know, I had done a module for that program at one point and they just reached out and said, this worked really, really well for us. Uh, we would love to just continue to ask you questions and work with you in some way. So I just came on as like an executive advisor, uh, with them, like no equity, you know, they were giving me a little bit of money for my time. Um, but we just got on a call every week and I just kind of walked them through certain things at the stage that they were at and, um, things like that. And after about two and a half years, they came to me and said, look, we, we really want to work on product. Um, we feel like we're really strong there. Um, but in terms of management, fundraising, uh, culture, you know, uh, hiring, we're that we don't feel like we live in that realm very effectively. And we would like to not do that. So um, after a, a couple months of, of a little bit, because I was running another company at the time that I just raised some money for. So I had to find a CEO to come sit in that seat and, um, and so forth. And, and then you know, the rest is history, so to speak. But in terms of culture, you know, I had run a, a number of companies where you know, I had done the things that I thought needed to be done in order to have um, some sort of defined culture um, because it's just written about a lot by really high level entrepreneurs. And, you know, they really, really emphasize how important it is. And it's like the only thing that really um, consistently determines the success or failure of a company across all industries. But it was something that I didn't really appreciate a whole heck of a lot until I had experienced it from the employee's perspective and had, having experienced it being done uh, horribly wrong. And when I felt that and when I felt the impact that it had on me and on my, my colleagues uh, on that team, you know, that's kind of when it was um, just really a, a wake up call in terms of like how it needed to be done because the context was because I'd always been a founder or a CEO since I was 19. And that was my first job uh, where, you know, I got to experience what it was like on the other side. So I think that was the catalyst to really, really, really drill in and, and be a lot more like proactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what would you say is like the biggest or the, not the biggest, but the best lesson that, being a CEO and being, you know, overseeing these business operations and stuff that what is the best lesson that that has taught you? Um, gosh, so many things. Wow. The, I mean, I can go through a couple like frameworks or structures that have been helpful. Um, sure. And, and then it kind of just boils down to one core tenant. And like, for me, I think, um, there was a, a venture capitalist named Fred Wilson who came out with a blog post at one point that said, you know, the three jobs of a CEO are um, vision strategy, hiring, recruiting and retention and ensuring there's enough, enough cash in the bank. And if you don't have the necessary people on board who are empowered to handle everything else, then you're failing as a CEO. 
Um, so that was something that I took into it. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, uh, John C. Maxwell has this book called The Five Levels of Leadership. And the first level is a position. Like you have to obviously be in the seat that's assigned to lead. The next yeah. level is permission. Like the people you are leading have to agree that, that they're going to follow you. And that has to be like a voluntary thing to some extent that they believe in you as a leader. And then it's production. Like they have to actually trust you and that you're going to deliver what you say you're going to deliver for them. And then you've got people development, which is like, I'm going to, by, by leading you, I'm actually going to make you uh, or expose you to, to situations that will allow you to grow in the direction that you want to. And then that last one is, is pinnacle where you're actually creating new leaders to follow the same path. Um, so just really being pay, just paying close attention to which of those is being done really well and which one is being done poorly um, you know, or needs a little bit more attention at any given time. Those have been helpful. I mean, honestly, though, at the end of the day, I think it's just important to remember that because so many CEOs or so many founders will treat um, employees as, as tools, as like, um, you know, an asset in a portfolio of, of producing assets. And I think that it's um, a, a very short-sighted perspective because if people feel that way, then, you know, the quote unquote asset will not produce. Like right. it's only when they're ma being made to feel as, as people who have value, who have, you know, their ideas are listened to, their feelings matter, their goals and their dreams are important. Um, and they feel, you know, trusted and supported and, um, you know, the list goes on. So, you know, kind of treating them as, as, uh, equals in a lot of ways, I think is, is always important because, you know, I think all of us can probably remember situations in life where, where we can think of people who very clearly perceive themselves to be above us in some way. And that's never a recipe for good collaboration and it's never a recipe for success. And while we have different jobs in the organization in terms of like, what our vantage point is and the decisions we're responsible for and the duties that we, you know, um, carry forward day to day, you know, it really is a company is a collection of people who are working together at the end of the day. And, and I think that's, it's, it gets lost. I mean, it's easy to say, and it's easy for people to agree to, and it's easy for people to write about and say that this is like a fundamental truth, but it's, it is profoundly difficult to actually make that be a truth in any organization and um, you know i think it's something that we, we always try to be really conscious of and there are days where we do it better than other days to be honest with you um but just being aware of it i think is a big thing gotcha um justine sorry if i'm hijacking one of your questions but you mentioned uh you like you were a founder and ceo at 19 is that correct where yeah. did you did you did where did you go to school I went to the University of Northern Iowa, majored in uh, exercise science, exercise physiology, and biomechanics. So wow. I have absolutely nothing to do with business whatsoever. Well, uh, it's cool to hear that you're also from Cornfield Town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cornfield Territory. Cornfield is very Midwestern. Super, like, all of my extended family were, they grew up in the country on farms. I grew up in town, so I was kind of the, the, the black sheep in that way. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I totally feel that. I mean, I, from growing up way out in the middle of nowhere, um, out here in the Midwest, if somebody was raised in town, even if it was just like 15 minutes away from where you lived out in the country, they were like, hot shit, like way <laughs> better. <laughs> yeah. And the people that just live five minutes out of town were just so country you know they had to wear them those boots in and they yeah. got their jacked up trucks and you uh -huh. wouldn't believe how country they were just because yeah. they live five minutes outside of town oh, yeah. <laughs> anyways well that kind of brings me to a question that i had that i was honestly kind of unsure of how i was going to work this in but you have grown up in the midwest um so we can just assume that Iowa is definitely a little bit more conservative. So what I would like to know is what were your views 
on cannabis or the cannabis industry before you started getting or started working for GrowFlow? And then how has that changed now that you are a part of the cannabis industry? Yeah, good question. Wow. And Iowa is kind of an anomaly. Like Western Iowa is very, very much a conservative red portion mm-hmm. of the state. Uh, the Eastern portion of Iowa is actually the opposite. And that's kind of where I grew up. Um, it was actually one of the first states to, to legalize gay marriage. Um, and you know, it's, it was, thank, I'm, you know, kind of, I, I, I was not raised in a conservative atmosphere at all. Uh, my, my parents are were both very staunch, uh, Democrats and, um, my sister is very, very much the same. Um, and you know, I've kind of, um, I've kind of tried to, to, form some of my my own opinions based on perf- uh, personal experiences in my life. But I would say, say that I still skew that direction by and large. It just makes a lot more sense, especially in the social sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I may, I may have some other, some different views in the fiscal sense, but uh, in terms of like all the social things, um, yeah. I'm definitely in that direction, like pretty heavily. Uh, but in terms of cannabis, I think I grew up in an, in an area uh, where, I mean, I didn't even see cannabis uh, in high school at all like I, I didn't even see like most drugs in college really like um and i played uh college football so we were getting drug tested mm-hmm. uh so it was it was one of those things that was very very much a uh you don't do this or you sacrifice your potential future kind of mm-hmm. uh environment so uh, but i'd never really had a predisposed judgment on um on cannabis per se uh you know especially after high school i think all the programs of like instilling fear definitely worked on me until i got to college and then kind of saw i'm like okay like whatever (laughs) (laughs) um and then it really wasn't until after um i stopped being a, a collegiate or professional athlete that um i just kind of did a little bit more of my own research and started to, and even outside of cannabis, like started to just hear some of the smartest people that I've ever met that are like, you know, fringe science, cutting edge folks out of places like Singularity University in San Francisco that are just like doing work that would just completely melt your face. Um, You know, hearing from those people, some of the benefits that they experienced from cannabis, but also like, you know, psychedelic plants and things like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, it was an eye-opening experience that made me question. And I think, you know, to some extent, we all have moments where we say, okay, um, I have been conditioned to think one thing, and now I'm experiencing things that are making me question how many of my thoughts and beliefs are my own. And I think that was definitely one of them. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's a a kind of coming to terms moment that a lot of us have had i hope more of us have in the future you know have them that experience in the future i know my mom could sure have that experience i'm just (laughs) (laughs) so but yeah you end up you hear about these profound experiences and you hear that all of the negative that you may have heard of like especially travis i don't know about you but i had a dare education growing up you know so i was like a dare kid and so I was really bummed when I got into college and there weren't a lot of free drugs like they were telling me there would be. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I always have to insert a little comedy there. Justine, uh, didn't mean to hijack your question. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, I feel like understanding your own bias and recognizing that kind of goes back to what you had said earlier about um, kind of understanding and controlling your own psychology and your own environment is yeah. it's just another part of like learning and growth and being aware of the whole world around you. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something that it takes a long time to unlearn those things. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting that you that we share like a similar experience. It wasn't until I saw like professionals, speaking about it like a guy with a suit and tie on you know admitting that he used cannabis actually i had credit go back to the pop brothers at law who are actually going to come back on our show soon um but they you know they suit and tie and speaking you know clearly and admit that they also use cannabis from time to time it's uh it was kind of a 
you know, it allowed yeah. me to form my view around that. So definitely, and you know, the inverse was also true because I kind of grew grew up in in like you know, like I said, I played college football. I went and fought professionally for a period of time after that, and um, during that period of time, I mean, gosh, everybody, it, you know, at that at that level of of sport, like we were kind of pumped full of opiates, like mm-hmm. prescription pain medication. And like, we're always taking something like every day. And, and it was never in my mind, I was, I was very blessed to have, um, I, I was not, you know, I don't have a really addictive personality. I don't have that genetic, um, I have no idea what that's like uh, for yeah. people to have that. So when I was done with sports and, you know, I had every injury in the world, like at one point I'd like torn my intercostals off my rib cage. I tore my Achilles tendon, rotator cuffs. Like there's always something, especially like, you know, more so everyone thinks that MMA was like way more brutal than college football is like absolutely profoundly not the case. You have giant freaks of nature with essentially suits of armor sprinting at you full speed in one of them. And the other one you have like someone standing in front of you that is your size. <laughs> and it's uh, it's very, very different. Um, and and uh just like seeing that that like level of pain has to you essentially have to mask it in some way um in order to to um and and i just i remember when i got off them i didn't even think twice about it i just stopped taking them and i got sick and then about two weeks later i realized oh my gosh i was probably in chemical withdrawals from opiates Um, and I didn't even realize that and it kind of shook me awake to like, okay, well, there are some things that some people are saying are bad and there are some things that other people are saying are good. Um, can I hit pause for a second? My actual, my, yeah. my prep person is here and I think she needs to be let in the door. Yeah. No problem now. So I actually, um, realized at that point as well, there was one of my teammates and I, gosh, it, like, it's so crazy to even think about this now, but one of my teammates who at the same time had been on the same uh, prescription pain medication that I was on, you know, after I, and I was like, I was like post op uh, after I tore my Achilles at the time. And I was just like, you know, I don't want to take this stuff anymore. And um, cause I knew that my football career was over. I was going to be rehabbing for the next year. And at that, at division one, like if you lose a step, like it's, you know, it's pretty much game over unless you're like a ridiculous freak of nature. Yeah. Um, but one of my teammates had been on that same path and he actually, you know, ended up going to jail for forging a prescription and um, like all different types of things that he did mm-hmm. and got kicked off the team and, and uh, went to jail. And, and I was just like, wow, this is, this is what doctors are giving people, you know, yeah. and it's like not being classified as like, Hey, this person's addicted to drugs. No, it's not like it's, it's um, and then you, on the other side, you have things that can be like, now they're they're saying, hey, psychedelic plants are helping heal people from PTSD, and um, are, are you know cannabis is helping with epilepsy and anxiety and and you know chronic pain and and you know helping people uh, have an appetite during cancer treatments and like all these different things. So these are the things that we're saying are bad, but these other things that we're saying are good. It's like it's a uh, it was a very strange moment. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean that that can be very shocking too and kind of sobering to to realize like hey, I was on this exact same regimen, this exact same pills, this exact same everything as my friend. So why did their path turn out this way and my path turn out this way when I didn't think that these pills were so bad, but obviously they are. And, you know, in places like Illinois here, we're lucky to have something called the Opioid Alternative Pilot Program, where instead of being prescribed opioids, you can get a temporary medical cannabis card for 90 days. Um, And that can help you deal with, like, pain and any psychological effects that can come after surgery. Um, So we're very fortunate to have that here. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so why should people listen to the grow flow podcast just to switch gears? Good question. So, um, one of the things that you'll find that, um, 
that is true for this pod, for the, for the Growflow podcast, that probably isn't true for a lot of the other shows in the industry. There are a lot of like deep subject matter experts like yourselves out there that can teach people a lot about cannabis itself and you know everything as it relates to cannabis. Now, Growflow, um, you know, one of the the elements of value that we provide is uh, we provide you know cannabis companies with with tools to help manage and grow their business as well. Um, you know, yes, the, the the cannabis specific angle of that, but also you know, we want to drive operational efficiency. We want to help them increase revenue growth, like all these different things that are important um, in terms of business and. Uh, myself and our, our chief revenue officer, uh, Joe Stolte, who I've been fortunate to work with for the last like 10 years of my life, or it feels like maybe it's a little bit less, but um, on different projects, like he's just a profoundly knowledgeable guy when it comes to you know, business strategy and, and um, you know, what to do, what not to do. He's seen mm-hmm. it at places like Microsoft or Expedia or in management consulting or running funds or running startups and, um, and, and, you know, my perspective has been like a, a very different path that has led to the same place. So those two perspectives, when applied to cannabis, I think that the Growflow podcast really speaks to the business mm. behind, um, you know, what we're trying to, to help our, our customers with rather than, hey, let's learn more about about the industry, about the plant itself, um, sure. you know, things like that. So that's kind of where we focus because it's it's really one of our strengths. Actually, this was my first cannabis venture. Um, we were, were very um, fortunate to have a lot of industry subject matter experts on the team. Mm-hmm. And so when combined with more um, deep and, and formal, in some cases, uh, uh, business experience, like some of our, our, our uh, senior leaders have, you know, I think that's what makes the difference for our customers. And I think that's kind of one of the things that you'll find um, on that show. Like, hey, these are things that we've brought from other industries that have been proven to be true. Um, it's not just something that, that works in one case um, for the one place. Legit. That's awesome. Well, that makes a good segue into my next question, which is uh, what are some of the complications that come with working in a cannabis adjacent business yeah and any highly regulated industry is going to present its own unique challenges uh i have had experience in before cannabis working in gambling and in finance and Mm -hmm. um they're always i mean if you're an entrepreneur first and foremost like i'll be completely honest there are easier ways to make money if you just want to come in and be an entrepreneur there are easier ways to make money because there's so much nuance and there's so much uh, of a differentiation state to state, yeah. uh, operation to operation. Whereas in other industries, it's kind of very similar across the board, regardless of, of geography or uh, various other variables. So you really have to be on your game. Um, uh, when you're in an industry like cannabis, because there are so many places where you can slip up without even realizing it. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, in in answer to your question, in terms of of um, you know some of the some of the areas to keep in mind or some of the areas to 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 be conscious of in an industry like this, um, you know, somebody needs to be laser focused on the regs. And not just the regs themselves, but also like what they really mean, what the spirit uh, of the regs are mm-hmm. to ensure that you're not only in compliance with the letter of the law, but also like it's going to shift really quickly. And if you're not kind of prepared for directionally, if you don't have a hypothesis and direction where it's going to go, um, it's going to be a bigger disruption when that time comes. So keeping a, your finger on the pulse there is important. Um, beyond that, I think what's also important is is just making sure that uh, you know the customers that you serve, um, you know that they're also going to be profoundly confused and overwhelmed most of the time. I mean that's just kind of the reality of 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 what the business is going to look like. They're going to not really know some percentage, some significant percentage of what they're doing, and I think because of that. Uh, being able to, even if their question is something that you've never really encountered, uh, providing an air of safety and confidence and 
and that sort of thing is a service in and of itself. Um, sure. And, you know, so those, I mean, there are a million ways to answer that question, but those are a couple that I think are, are pretty important. Yeah. Do you look forward to anything specific with regard to cannabis legislation? I mean, one thing I've got on my mind is smart ba safe banking, the safe banking act. Would that make things easier for you as a company? Do you have any complications with money since you like, since you are a cannabis adjacent bit business? We have been um, very fortunate to put ourselves in a position where these types of things, like as a company, these types of things are less of an issue for us. They can be difficult for our customers. Um, so, I mean, we're excited for, for developments like that on their behalf, um, but it's also like these are governmental uh, motions. So yeah. whatever gets passed, it's gonna take time. There's gonna be complications, there's gonna be confusion. And so what we've kind of tried to do is make decisions that will enable us to move in that direction when the time comes. But we as a company don't exactly suffer because we would have to look at our situation relative to the competition. Mm, and yeah. because we have, um, you know, a staff that, that is able to focus on, on those nuances and because we have systems in place that allow us to deal with those on a day-to-day -day basis and, um, you know, because of the fact that we have uh, communicated what the reality is to our customers, um, I don't know that we really suffer from that today. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do have complexities, like, for example, uh, our international employees every four or five months, like we'll have that particular international payment provider, provider that we use to pay those employees will just randomly shut us off and we'll have yeah. to find a new one. Um, we've had, you know, banks that have just just made weird, arbitrary decisions. Um, but, you know, as far as as we're concerned, like that's just a natural cost of of doing business and everyone in the industry experiences it. So we try yeah. not to get too wrapped up in like what could be or when it could happen um, in regards to us planning for today. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, I think I had one more question uh and then we i think justine has a few more questions but i wanted to remind our listeners we're joined by travis stefan uh from growflow um it's the website growflow.com cool um and i and i'm putting you both on the spot right now illinois is a biotrack state does growflow do they mesh for our you know business owners that might be listening do they great work question. together great question so um that is, a, I'll, I'll give a caveat, it, they will mesh by mid-May. <laughs> so our, our engineering team right now is actually, so we had a Biotrack integration a couple of years ago in the state mm -hmm. of Washington. And then when Biotrack lost the contract there, um, we kind of stopped maintaining that integration sure. and did not sure. really um, build it with our newer engineering principles in mind and the way that we build things today versus the way that companies built things back then mm -hmm. uh, works very, very different. So right now our engineering team is uh, working on that for both our, our um, wholesale products and our retail products. Uh, you know, our wholesale products covers cultivation, processing, manufacturing, like things like that. Um, and, you know, retail is obviously point of sale for, for dispensaries. Um, but uh, both of those will have separate integrations in every one of those states. Um, and it will allow us to go in and service customers there as a platform, as a service over top of Biotrack. Now, Biotrack now is under new ownership. Um, yeah. They're now a combined entity, and that entity is called Forian. Uh, Forian is now a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. Um, so we do have a close relationship with the folks over there, and, and we're making sure that we can establish a solution that can be um, really favorable to the operators in all those states. Cool. Cool. Thanks for a answering that question. I'm sure that gets some of our listeners excited. So, um, Justine, you had a few more questions, I think. Yeah. Um, so Travis, to kind of put you on the spot, if you could change anything about your current role, um, or, you know, some of your duties within the company, what would you change? Oof, what a great question. Um, if I could change anything, I would say um, I would want to be a lot closer to customer interactions than I am today. 
um, you know, one of the things that kind of comes with, with being a CEO is like a lot of times there are larger business development motions that are happening in the background and, and just the nature of those um, is such that, you know, you can't expect the majority of those things to, to close. Uh, you can't expect the majority of those things to happen. And the unfortunate part about that reality is um, if that, if those motions were um, handled or shared by folks who have not been through that sort of process for years and the calluses have not been built, it can be a profound psychological disruption. So um, having gone through that a number of times with a number of companies that I've been a part of, you know, thankfully I kind of expect that, you know, a, a significant percentage of those larger conversations will not materialize into anything substantive. So it's a part of my job that that is uh, a large portion of, of my time. But um, I feel that like if we're just talking about our ability to service the customer and provide value to the customer at the end of the day, um, you know, being closer to their conversations, their attitudes, their perceptions. And thankfully, I've been able to get on the phone with some of the larger ones uh, who, you know, the title of CEO just goes further for and we can open doors with uh, that we wouldn't have been able to open before. Um, I've been able to to be involved in those at that level. Um, but I would like to be involved more in, in customer interactions than I am today. I mean, if you ever want to trade jobs for a day, I could give it a shot at being a CEO. (laughs) You are welcome to give it a shot. (laughs) I would be so lost within the first email that I received. I'm sure. Put your party pants on. It is not for the faint of heart for sure. But uh, you know, honestly, it's, it's one of those things. I've just been doing it for so long. I don't really know any different at this point. Yeah. yeah. What do you do out? Do you do anything outside of work? Do you go bowling? I mean, what do you got any <laughs> hobbies? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, I I'm like a huge fitness nerd. Um, that was like if I got any value from college at all, it was just like knowledge of of the human body. And um, there was a period of time where I was in that industry, um, you know, starting companies in that industry. And I I haven't been in that industry for you know like seven or eight years now. Uh, I sold a, a a couple of companies in that industry and got non-competed for a period of time. And so got exposed to a lot of other things and realized like, I don't want to really be doing that same thing in that same industry for the rest of my life. But, um, I do really enjoy that realm personally. It's like very meditative. It's like where I get a lot of my best ideas. Um, you know, I always feel better, uh, doing, doing things like that. So that's one area. I mean, I love, um, like I love uh, TV and film, like as an art form. I love that's like my favorite form of art to appreciate. Like for example, um, I, every year when the Oscar noms are announced, like I watch literally every single thing that's nominated. Like I think this year I've got like four or five more uh, that I need to watch. I think there's like one or two short films that just aren't you can't see anywhere at the moment, mm-hmm. and then a couple of the, the international features that are also difficult to find. Um, but like I, I I really enjoy it. I like it's a huge creative achievement, which is beyond what my normal day to day is. So it's pretty inspirational to kind of dig in to see this thing that someone else created from their from their brain, which to me feels so similar to you know founding a company. Like at some point, this was just like an Easter egg in someone's mind, and now it's this thing that is touching the lives of all these people in various ways and such a different um way to accomplish the same goal but so similar that that i just kind of get to sit there and um speculate as in terms of okay how do these people do this how do they accomplish this there's so many moving parts and so many people like you know things like um that are just at like crazy levels of scale like game of thrones where you've got Mm -hmm. two different completely different very large crews on two different continents with all these things that have to be coordinated and thousands of people that are moving in tandem in this like beautiful piece of music in a way that's um, just so profoundly inspirational. So like, that's a big one for me, I would say. Um, And uh, outside of that, I mean, gosh, like I'm like a big board game nerd. I love, I love those with, uh, you know, I'll have, like game nights with some old friends once a week and mm-hmm. 
I'll usually do that too. So <laughs> not, Hell yeah. like, there was a period of my life where there were, there were a lot more exciting hobbies that I had where I was like doing more adrenaline junkie types of things. But uh, I think the adrenaline junkie portion of my day is more uh, work now than it ever has been where there's so much happening at any given time. It's very like high stakes, high pace, sometimes high stress environments that uh, at the end of it, I really gravitate to the more restorative uh, hobbies. Sure, sure. So uh, I've got uh, another question that just popped up in uh, my head. Um, you mentioned BioTrack and the company that went public. What was that again? Fluorine? Fluorine. How do you spell that? S-O-R-I-A-N. Cool. Definitely not trying to like, you know, give them any free advertising. But my question is, I feel like seed to sale is going to be a good investment. So it sounds like, yeah, they're public, so you could invest in that. But are there investment options for Growflow or any ways to support? Um, so Growflow is still a private company. Uh, so okay. it's, it's difficult because uh, we actually have really strong capital partners that we would like to buy as much of the company as we'll allow them to. Um, <laughs> yeah. and we try to stave off as much of that as we possibly can. Um, so, sure. so I would say like in terms of investment, the options are pretty limited at this stage. Now, that wouldn't necessarily be the case forever. If it were, our investors would like completely destroy yeah. us. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, they want to <laughs> in, uh, in their... Uh, tenure, but they did just invest about a year ago. The, the most recent cohort uh, of investors were very lucky to have PVC Capital out of San Diego, um, a sector agnostic growth equity fund. Um, and, you know, it's, it is their job and funds like them, it's their job to get involved and be able to invest in companies that most people are unable to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, there is a, a little bit of a barrier there. Uh, sure. So. I was going to say, I, I generally don't get anything out of my equity share fund, whatever you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, you got another question, Justin? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask what advice do you have for first time business owners, but I think you covered that pretty well earlier in, in going over, um, kind of the, the nuances of working in a cannabis adjacent yeah. business. So, um, I want to know, you can either give one or like top three, top five, whatever. What are your, some of your like best, like aha moments with grow flow? Yeah. Well, with growth, I mean, overall, and, and I will give you one thing on that first question. Um, I think what any business owner, whether inside or outside of cannabis can do, that can be the biggest difference maker. I mean, I say this a lot on shows. It's not what you normally hear in books, on blog posts. Other entrepreneurs don't often say this sort of thing. Most people start companies because they have an idea, plain and simple. Um, And I am a very, very strong proponent that that is the wrong path. I mean, the, the, the uh, statistics show that upwards of 90% of businesses fail. And I'm a believer that 90% of businesses fail because people start them because they have an idea. And in my opinion, based on what I've seen, the better way to start a business is to go find a customer segment who has money and that have problems that they're willing to part with that money to solve. And then as an entrepreneur, go have as many conversations with a specific customer subset as you possibly can and and just interview them. Don't lead them in the direction of anything that you want them to say. Interview them, ask them questions, get to know their lives, their pain points, their processes, what they do, how they do it, what's lacking for them today, where they're searching for solutions, how how much that solution would be worth for them, like things like that. There's a book um, called Lean Customer Development by a woman named Cindy Alvarez that's just fantastic at creating framework-based customer interviews in this way. Um, So you're not leading the witness because they just won't want to disappoint you. So they'll say whatever you ask them to say, essentially. Um, uh, So there's like easy ways to trip up if if you're in your head, you're married to an idea. And that can be the most dangerous thing because you're going to hear what you want to hear. There's confirmation bias galore. Um, if you kind of come into it with that, like you're on a fact finding mission, you're not on a, a, a quest to validate uh, an opinion that you already have. And then once you've had 
20, 30, 50 of these customer conversations, going back and finding the patterns, figuring out how people are describing the same problem, the language they're using, uh, the path that they would like to see and what they would be willing to pay for and where they congregate and where they look for solutions. Like they're going to tell you the answers. Mm-hmm. You don't have to figure them out on the fly. You, you don't have to like invest a bunch of your own money into an idea because you're so convinced. And so often entrepreneurs will be so convinced that they have an idea that they're like, I don't need to ask customers. Like I, I know them. I'm one of them. And yeah. the truth is, yeah, they are one of them. It means you're a statistical outlier. You're not the norm. You're a single sample. Um, and most entrepreneurs actually don't have these conversations because they're afraid of what they're going to find out because they're so married to this idea. Um, and it's almost like not wanting to go to the doctor because you know they're going to find something. Um, and it's it's so uh, counterproductive to like your ultimate goal um, because you've created now this blueprint in your mind of what the future is going to be and what you want your life to be and what the, what this future of this company is going to be that if you deviate from that and it shatters this blueprint like where does your identity go mm-hmm. um so being able to just get out in front of that weird psychological phenomenon from the very beginning i think is just it, it's a profoundly effective and very simple recipe for success um aha moments at grow flow would would be you know um, I mean, we're always learning things like there, even though Growflow is like one of the best companies in the space to do what we do, like with any company, there are always things like there are always mistakes we make. There are always things that we do um, either ineffectively or not as effectively as we could. Um, so one of those things is, you know, we have gotten by for a long time on uh, product market fit built early on. And really trying to squeeze as much juice out of that fruit as possible and not proactively as often as we can putting more of our product, uh, our product leaders in those same customer discovery conversations. Uh, we, we at one point kind of treated that as though there was a finish line and instead got the customer discovery conversations from support conversations, sales conversations, success conversations, um, with our customer facing teams, you know, getting feature requests and things like that. Whereas the true competitive advantage is established when you can just sit down and get, go deep with a customer and like create something specifically for them and people like them and um, like something that doesn't exist today. And like, those are the, where the real gold lies. Uh, and so that's one. Um, another is, you know, an aha moment is like, your culture is never going to be finished either. Like, even though it might be amazing today, there are going to be things that happen over the course of business. There are going to be stressful events that happen externally that lead to lots of people having feelings internally. And those can lead to situations. And um, like, it is a, a continued practice and it'll fluctuate like quarter to quarter, month to month, people's happiness or satisfaction will go up and down and the solutions will never look exactly the same as they were the month before it. Um, so basically just making sure people know that, Hey, you're listening. Um, you know, you are, are trying to figure out the best balance of being super responsive to their individual needs while also doing the things that are in the best interest of the company and its shareholders within budget. Um, all those plates need to spin and be balanced. And, and oftentimes if the people themselves that are having issues or having feelings or having situations arise are given the context of the bigger picture. Um, they're, they're, you know, people are, are smart and reasonable. They're going to understand if there's uh, some sort of um, like budgetary blocker or strategic misalignment of something that they would like to see happen or just a communication breakdown somewhere where they're assuming that somebody feels a certain way, but in actuality, this person was, you know, doing something completely different. Um, you know, so breaking through those assumptions and, and just having frank, candid conversations to get to the bottom uh, of everything, I think is also important. And then lastly, um, there's one of the, there's a book called The Five Temptations of a CEO. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I have like the tenets of it hanging on my wall. And one of them that's like the most difficult, especially in a company that really touts its culture, 
is one of the five temptations of a CEO is prioritizing harmony over productivity. And um, it feels sometimes counterintuitive because on a day-to-day basis, it's less stressful to create an environment where everyone's happy mm-hmm. um, and everyone agrees. And realistically, if that is the order of operations in terms of priority, like it, it becomes very dangerous because you end up with this like Frankenstein decision yeah. that isn't really based on a strategic path. And the, the real magic in a company that can be successful is being able to prioritize productivity um, in a way that people understand uh, so that any disharmony is also understood. Like being able to say, okay, I know that you don't agree with this decision. This is why we're making it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just important that even though you disagree, you're able to, to get on board. And while you don't really have to pull that lever all that frequently, every once in a while, like it's, it's important to make sure that, that you can stand up and, and say, here is what we have to do because it's in our best interest to do it. Um, and because it's at the end of the day, it's a game with incomplete information and you have to kind of, if you wait for a hundred percent of the information to come in, you're missing your window of opportunity. You're acting on 40% information. You're basically flipping a coin. So you have to kind of really play in this gray area of like 75% information. And Mm -hmm. because of that, there's going to be some uncertainty. There's going to be some disagreement. There's going to be some varying opinions and it's just kind of, the way that like the the realm that you have to live in to be successful and it's um, sometimes it can cause people to not be happy about a decision that's made and it just has to be okay um, it's not comfortable it's never comfortable to know that you're you're you have people that you really trust who disagree but um it's it's the mark of a of an important set of principles and strategy to be able to say no to something that really makes sense Absolutely. Yeah. Um, darn, I lost my train of thought. I hate <laughs> when that happens. Well, um, I just wanted to personally thank you for setting aside time uh, in your schedule to come on our show, man. Uh, we, I am a big fan of your podcast and what you guys are doing. I find it very informative. Um, so it means a lot for you to come onto our show, you know, and talk to our audience awesome thanks for having me yeah it's been really fun i I really this is one of my favorite parts of my job to be honest with you it's just to be able to have conversations like this and and if there's any value that i mean even if there's one nugget for you know one of you or for for anybody listening then like that's that's amazing that's really why at the end of the day we do it yeah well as things start to get back to normal maybe one of these days we can go out to dinner do you guys uh do you have any parting words for like our uh, audience i guess let's see parting thoughts <laughs> parting thoughts i mean i think so many entrepreneurs that kind of are on um have like a a, a voice at all in the media really champion like the just do it and never give up uh mentality and so i'll kind of spare you of that because that's that's been done to death a million times and twice on Sunday. So, um, for me, I think, um, just if you see success and you find success, don't assume that that success is eternal. Don't assume that that success is going to apply to the other things that you're doing. Stay curious, continue learning, ask why run experiments try to understand don't stop having conversations with your team or with your customers ever there is no finish line um you know just make sure that like you never actually buy into any hype uh yourself because it can just be dangerous to be complacent i think like there are times where all of us even at growflow there have been times where we've been complacent i think and just have known all right well we're better than the people around us so we just keep doing what we're doing um but I think it really takes a, um, a kick in the pants sometimes to, you know, make sure that everyone is functioning at their highest ability. And sometimes it can be stressful and that's really the game yeah. to be able to, to turn something that, 
you know, also, I guess like one last word that I always try to remind myself every day. Um, and I, I I'm going to paraphrase it. I want to say this was the Buddha that said this, but I might be wrong. So, um, the quote is, uh, if you, if you can control the outcome, why worry? If you can't control the outcome, why worry? You know, at the end of the day, it's like most of what we worry about is just in our heads. And if yeah. we just relax and work the problem, and you know, you can feel good and still come to a solution. I like that. And folks, you know, if you if you want another tip towards success, you see how I snuck that dinner in there with Travis, and he <laughs> didn't even get the option to say no. That that's that. That's how you do it. You know. So yeah. Yeah, just yeah. another word to the wise. That's it done. Yeah. Cool. Well, better move. <laughs> <laughs> well, Travis, I just wanted to reiterate what Cole said. Just thank you for your time. Thank you for um, giving us all your words of wisdom and advice and for sharing your Saturday with us because it, it really is, means a lot to us and it means a lot to our listeners as well. Yeah. yeah well, I appreciate what you guys do and, and especially Justine, I appreciate how you spend most of your days. You know, um, you know, we like if I, if I didn't come here prepared and, and ready to, to offer you guys value, I wouldn't be doing my job. So um, I, I appreciate everything you guys are doing for all the people you're doing it for. 